Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Seven years ago, Jamie and I set out to answer a question. Can you integrate the worlds of therapy and performance so that they work together for the benefit of the client? We knew that if we could create something truly tangible that was inclusive instead of exclusive, it would allow you, the practitioner, to solve more problems, work with purpose instead of a cross-purpose, and in the end, you would earn more income by working smarter, not harder being fulfilled, and sought after for your solutions. After creating reconditioning and witnessing the change of so many professionals' lives and practices, we knew still there was one more ingredient we needed to make it a bulletproof process. For so many years, the brain and central nervous system were not clearly understood. There were a lot of theories and interesting practices, but the research just wasn't there to support the claims. But in the last 10 to 15 years, the world of neurology has come out of the laboratory into the world of real application. We knew this was the missing piece of our process, bringing the current practices of applied neurology into the empowering practice of reconditioning. Introducing Neuro Reconditioning, the R-Pro series, four steps, one mission, to make you the neuro reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. If you haven't started yet, it all starts out with our signature course, R1 Foundations. R1 is about learning the building blocks of assessing and improving functional movement through the lens of applied neurology. Maybe you've taken the first step, but that's a bit like being a freshman in a college. You've only just begun. R2 Designs empowers the process even further so you can assess and improve any human movement, understand the visual and vestibular system, and then integrate your work into performance programming and return to performance. Both of these courses are completely online experiences, so you can digest everything from the comfort of your home, hotel, plane, or office. But knowing that there is so much value in trying, doing, and living the experience with us by your side, our new R3 Collab is about you experiencing the full power of the process in a living lab. Troubleshooting your issues, fixing your problems in real time, and gaining real confidence in the process, as well as learning how the brain integrates and manages everything we do. Finally, our R4 mentorship is about exposing your knowledge, refining your approach, and learning through a powerful feedback process so you can be a reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. For more information on all our course offerings, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offering. If maximum strength, injury prevention, and performance enhancement are important to you, Isofit's all-new Maximum Strength Kit is an absolute must add addition to your arsenal. Requiring less than seven square feet of space, Isofit's cost-saving design provides over 2,000 pounds of resistance for millions of isometric-based strength exercise. Made from cold-rolled Canadian steel, Isofit's Maximum Strength Kit is the world's first performance product dedicated to maximizing isometric strength, peak isometric force, and maximum isometric endurance strength. Since 2015, Isofit strength products have proudly strengthened and stabilized athletes in the NFL, NBA, NLB, NHL, and UFC. Pre-sale pricing is on now. 
Order yours today at www.isofitmsk.ca. That's isofit with a PH. Remember to use the discount code Leave Your Mark to save 15% on your purchase. Shipping February 2022. Matrix Fitness has been the longest standing sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast. Greg Lawler, the Vice President of Business Development, reached out to me over a year and a half ago to say that he felt we had a common vision for human performance, something bigger than just helping people physically perform better. Their mission aligns with my mission, the idea that by creating the fertile soil for everyone and anyone to start or continue their personal performance journey, we will be here to help you do it. Matrix is one of the biggest brands in fitness and performance equipment today, but they are more than that. They are about helping you reach higher, explore your possibilities, and stay in the game, whatever your chosen path. Whatever you need, whether that is to buy equipment, rent equipment, or seek consultation, or simply recognize the possibilities, Greg and his team at Matrix are here to help you. You can find them at teamupwithmatrix.com today. Everyone struggles with the challenges of life on a daily basis. You're not alone. But if you're like most people, you feel alone, even when you're in a great relationship or a good work environment, because it's so hard to honestly reflect on your insecurities and obstacles with the people that you love or serve. After all, everyone wants to present themselves as being on it, prepared, ready to meet the challenges of life head on. But you know that's not how you always feel inside. Do you sometimes feel as though just having someone to bounce your ideas off of would be something you needed? Maybe you wish you just had someone who would listen to you so you could vent without the fear of judgment. The LYM Life Lab is about real mentorship. It's about me listening to you, connecting, empathizing, realizing, and reflecting so you can make better decisions, create your own change, and live a life of fulfillment and joy. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about living a better life. One you design, craft, explore, and experience within a safe place of objective perspective and honesty but no judgment. In the coming weeks, I will be opening this program up to an exclusive group of people, people who want to see real change in their lives and are willing to work towards real growth. This isn't a program for everyone, but if you're up for the challenge, you'll want to pay close attention to how to be included in this powerful experience. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for how you can be an instigator of your own change. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. Uh, I'm Scott Livingston, your host, and I'm excited this week to have back Matt Young. Spent some time with Matt uh, a number of weeks ago with Dom Goche and really talked about some of the issues in sport today in Canada. And really, fundamentally, they're not Canada-centric. Um, they are really something that we see in a lot of different uh, countries. So I'm excited to have Matt back. And I didn't really do justice to introducing him the last time. I think Matt is somebody who's a, a leader in Canada in helping sport uh, find its way in both the development sector and the performance sector is a huge resume in both areas and a lot of different experiences, both building businesses and then just working in sport with different sports stakeholders, so to speak. And we'll broach the word stakeholder later, which is a bit of a <laughs> sometimes a annoying term. But anyways, I want to, I want to introduce Matt, but I'd also like him to just give you guys, the listener, a little bit of his background. So then we're going to get into how we can make sport better in Canada. So thanks for coming today, Matt. 
Awesome, Scott. Thanks so much for having me back. Uh, leave your mark. Loved, loved the show last time and really excited to dig in today's conversation. In terms of introductions, uh, I mean, you know, no one wants to listen to a big laundry list. I think what's the most relevant is, is I have 20 years of business experience as a franchisor. Um, and that really was a life lesson in, in how to lead the franchisees, uh, which I view a lot of the local sport organizations in doing. Um, so a lot of the, uh, the learnings that we took from that 20 years in, in the bricks and mortar business in the private sector, we've brought over to the public sector and, and thought about how we can introduce um, slowly and steadily. I've had a great, as you said, uh, um, experience in the, the sport from amateur to the professional to the Olympic levels of sport. I've consulted over 50 organizations from grassroots to the professional Olympic levels of sport. I've helped the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee develop their activation and accountability framework for their ADM. And I've had the, a great experience in just traveling the world and listening to and learning from some of the best and brightest in the business. Um, coaches and experts and, and organizational leaders um, from Switzerland to Italy to Norway um, uh, to Liechtenstein, even a, even a tiny country with a small Olympic um, committee. So I just I bring all of that back and and think about how we can take best practices and principles from one area and really share them. And uh, mm-hmm. and it doesn't translate across the board all the time, but most times there are a lot of great things that we can think about and and reimagine. So that's me. Cool. Well, we want to walk through um, a little bit of call it the I, go, I call this sport problematics, and then get into the solution set side of things. Um, and you know, the last time we conversed, we talked about some of those things. But it, you know, if we generalize to a degree, um, you know, you've got the difference between. Um, what I guess the public sector would see as the big shiny bobble, which is the performance sector of sport, which is, you know, when we're looking at the hockey Canada's and we're looking at the Alpine Canada's, we're looking at these basketball Canada's, it's what our athletes that are going to the Olympics are doing or whether it's professional sport. And then we have all the developmental sport and all the, you know, where young kids are actually developing and experiencing sport. And a lot of the money in some sense is in the performance domain, but we sort of understand that, you know, in order to have the performance domains be successful, we need a, a quality development se- sector. Um, and we need that quality development sector for various purposes. One is that we want obviously our young people to experience sport in every dynamic and and have fun at it and the, and experience the joy of it so that they will have sports when they're in their future life we want potentially for them to develop into athletes that are competitive at some point. Um, and we want um, people to be physically active. We want our population to be healthy, et cetera. So those are kind of the two worlds that people see. And the one that we won't spend as much time on the performance side of things today, but what we want to sort of parse out is how we better help the the development sector because that's the one that tends to be underfunded at times um it's the one that leans upon the um you know parent coach the uh parent executive the parent or organized uh, or administrations etc and there's a lot of weight on those sectors so you know you're the guy with the experience in this area you know what what have been some of the challenges that you've run into time and time again in this area and and, and sort of exp- explore those with me so that the listener understands them and then so so that we can then talk about the solution set afterwards 
Right on, Scott. So really like what your comment, your comment on the one in a million. Um, if we always say it's, you know, high performance and elite athletes is one in a million, then you need a million people playing sport to get that. Mm. And, and that really <laughs> is that whole feeder system that you do. And, and that is the root issue is that the feeder system is underfunded. Um, and when people say, well, there's not enough money, you know, amateur sport is reported a $28 billion a year, North American industry. So 8 billion in Canada and, you know, anywhere from 17 to 19 billion in, in the USA. So let's not start with the, there's no money in sport. It's just <laughs> allocated to the, 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 the different areas. And usually it's allocated to the business people that are making money off hotels and tournaments, et cetera. So we can actually take a page from their book. But I think the root issue is that, you know, the volunteer president, executive director, volunteer board, and they're tasked with leading all of the sports stakeholders, which, you know, when we say stakeholders, I know it's a big word, but that's really athletes, parents, officials, coaches, and administration. Those are the five key groups that are in and around sport. So when you get a volunteer president, executive director, or board tasked with leading those people, one of the question is, this is leadership. Do they have those leadership skills? Do they, are they provided with those leadership tools? In some cases, even in small communities, that's hundreds of people. It could be thousands of people. Um, if you don't have the experience in leading people, that's a big ask uh, for no dollars. Um, secondly, and then there's the business side of it, which is you're managing the key pillars of business, which let's just for argument's sake, they're for every business. So you've got things like culture, your customer journey mapping, your marketing and communications, your sales, your reporting, your diversity and inclusion. This is management. So on top of the leadership skills that are required to run the business of sport, or let's say elevate the organizational capacity, if you don't want to use the word business, um, this is management. You need management skills. So uh, with no support, no operating system or playbook, no call center, no clue, how is it that we are expecting that development system to flourish? It's it's just, you're, it's not going to happen. You're going to have great people and there are and you and i both know a lot of good and great people doing good things there's also a lot of well-intentioned people trying to do good things but it is really incumbent on the leadership at the top of the food chain to say hey listen we really need to think about how we're supporting that development we didn't used to have to think about it because sport wasn't as big of a business as it has become and it became a big business Without that operating system, without the accountability, without the compliance, without the checks and balances, without any support. And it doesn't matter what happened back then. What needs to happen now is some sort of operating system playbook or, or, or guidebook there. So, mm-hmm. Well, one of the, the sad parts of that, um, the, the sort of, I'll call it the failure side of the the mousetrap is that we're starting to see these cracks or what I would call symptoms um, in some of the, the news that we're listening to today, whether it's, you know, some of the safe sport controversies, some of the, you know, how coaches coach and whether it's uh, the right style or not and creating, you know, uh, athletes who are being, uh, you know, limited in their, in their potential success because uh, one coach coaches in a certain way or another way, et cetera. And then you've got uh, other symptoms, whether it's the crash and burn of a particular national sports organization or lack of success at a, at an international tournament or event. Um, There's all these different call them symptoms of this, 
uh, failure proposition at the end of the day. And I liked what you just said, if we can go back a little bit with some of the um, the changes over the last 20, 25, 30 years, like when we were kids, um, there was more phys ed, there was more sort of local recreational sport that you played multiple sports in, and there wasn't sort of this demand-centric you know, process around the money in sport. So everybody just played. But what's happened over time now is because we've professionalized sport and because there's so much professionalization around the preparation for sport, there's this demand for people to early specialize. There's this demand for um, having higher quality coaching, but not having the money to do it, et cetera. So the parents start expecting more. And so then they start to get very negative about what the experience, if the experience isn't up to their expectations so we started to see all these kind of symptoms creeping into the into the the animal so to speak in the last 10 15 years that's really making the optics of sport fairly negative um and again part of that is operational issues but what do you see as sort of the the fundamental issues of that of that's that problem or those symptoms so to speak in one word, it's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're bang on because we keep addressing the symptoms of poor sport and these all these examples, but we actually don't get into the culture. So mm-hmm. our solution to um, the, some of the bad stuff is, well, we'll have these checks and balances. We've got safe sport, which don't get me wrong, is amazing and needed and well mm-hmm. you know, needed. But, you know, diversity and inclusion, you know, they're all bolt-ons. So mm-hmm. We're not going to change people's behavior by telling them you have to do this diversity inclusion training. You have mm-hmm. to do this safe sport training. Um, you know, we have safe sport training and we need safe sport training, but if it's something I have to do and it's not baked into the culture, those are two different things, two mm-hmm. different things, because it's easy to say, yeah, we've got it box checked tick. And, <laughs> and then we have another example and another example and another example, what you're what is happening when you hear another example and another example is we haven't actually woven it into the culture. Mm-hmm. It's not part of who the organization is at their core, mm-hmm. at the bottom, from the bottom up. We haven't done a good job of engaging the athletes, the parents, the officials, the coaches, and the administrations into that shared vision and culture and say, this is what we are. This is what we're doing. If this suits and aligns with your values, great. Come on over here. If it doesn't, maybe there's a different place for you. We haven't done that um, well, and we haven't done that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like, you know, and I want to go back to something that you said. It's interesting because as coaches, what is the instruction to our kids as we approach different opponents? We need to ebb and flow to the, we need to prepare for the, the changes that are coming, the different opponents that we have, you know, uh, their dryland training. So if we want to be competitive, we need to do dryland training as at the coaching level, we're always saying that, but for some reason, we just refuse to look at that in terms of where kids are coming to and coming at us from, um, and in 2021, 2021, they're not this it, coaching a kid in 2021 is not the same as coaching a kid in 20. 18, 2015, 2000, who really cares why? Does that, does the why matter? It doesn't really matter. It's that's what we're given. So you're right. The coaches now where they had to look at, you know, when I was growing up registration, uh, fielding the team, game day strategy, 
uh, postseason party. That was basically what they looked at. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, made sure everyone was having a good time. And, you know, now they've got to manage the athletes. They got to manage the parents. They got to manage physical literacy development, the social emotional aspects, the mental psychological aspects of your kids for a lot of the reasons that you were talking about. And when you have that with the increased expectation from the, from the parents, you're never going to win as a coach. You're never going to win as an organization. You're never going to be good enough. It takes a collective understanding, which goes back to culture. How are we building this organization from that foundation up? And you don't solve cultural issues by putting lipstick on the pig. You solve cultural <laughs> issues by getting down and teaching people how to how to operate a, a solid running community business. Um, whether it's a not-for-profit or or whether it's a for-profit, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's the same process. So, um, you know, that's we, what we have. Yeah, we've always had a bit of a, I think humanity for some reason, and this is this is the same thing I deal with in, in therapeutic performance culture, but we always have this kind of symptomatic uh, management uh, approach. You know, you've got a headache, take an aspirin. You, you, you know, this is this is a problem. Let's put a band-aid on it. And to your point, um, and, and I agree with you, we need to have a safe, safe sport uh, concept. But again, it's, it's dealing with the symptoms versus why did we get there in the first place? And I'm I'm a why guy, so I like to get to the why side of things. Um, and, you know, this takes us into this uh, operationalization part of things. And this is true of whether we're in the performance world or the development world. Um, I've experienced it time and time again in the performance world where the some of these big NSOs, national sports organizations that we perceive as you know, having their SHIT together, a lot of times they don't. And a lot of times it ends up, if they've had success, oftentimes it's because they happen to have had a cycle where they had a good leader who imparted good management strategies and structures. And then that person leaves. But the problem is when they leave, there's no playbook for them, for the next person to step into. And so then you start to see this deterioration. And that's why sort of sport performance tends to be very cyclical. And it's in every part of the industry, so to speak. And at the foundation of it, it's that nobody's built a true playbook for people to sort of open up and go, okay, we do A, we do B, we do C. This is why we do A, B, A before B. This is why we do X before Y, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in your, before we get into what you've started to create and how this is hopefully going to solve some of these problems, why, why do you think that's always been the, the, the way? Why, why hasn't you know, somebody created a template or a strategy or a structure? What's been the resistance to doing that in some sense? Uh, I think there's a, a lot of answers to that. I think you know, the first thing is, is because it might not have had to be done as long as the best from the community are elevated to the provincial level, then get exposure at the national level. And that feeder system is, you know, really nourished. You don't really need to worry about it that much, but COVID really put a damper on that because COVID exploited that weakness and shone a big light on the fact that, Hey, listen, maybe there's a better way of doing this. And maybe we we need more support um, because it's now gone. I heard somebody uh, really articulate it well, and and he said, every year, we just think we're going to turn on the registration faucet. People just show up, they pay their fees, they do whatever. Yeah, you need this for tournament. Yeah, no problem. They just keep shelling out money. That's not the case anymore. Um, There's other options. 
the the seasons have gone longer. It's not sustainable or affordable for as many people anymore. So there's a lot of different reasons that we've had to go, okay, you know what? We need to just shore ourselves up a little bit here and, and make sure that that's happening. I think that's reason number one. I think reason number two is there's a lot of healthy ego in sport. You look at the people that are presiding over sport, they usually have some sort of experience in sport. So maybe they were a great player. They got elevated to technical director, executive director. They they hopefully they've hung around their president, vice president, et cetera, to try and, and um, share there might be a better way or a different approach it really and, and listen, I, I'm I'm self aware. I'm not the kit glove guy, um, <laughs> and, and you need people with kit gloves and that are good at behavior change. But you also need people that can just call it and say, "Listen, um, what are your attract, retain, and growth metrics?" Because they're not going to lie. They're not going to have an emotional attachment to the feedback that you're about to receive. What are your net promoter scores from your different stakeholders? What are athletes saying about their experience? Parents saying about their experience? What did the anonymous third-party feedback from the uh, evaluations that you sent out, what are they reporting? And and what are the kind of outside of the organization audits have you done um, uh, that are giving you the feedback on, on, on what your value is? Where is all that information? Because that information, you should want to know as a leader. You should want to know that and, and use it as a basis. How are we doing? Have we improved? Have we flatlined? Or are we going in a and in the opposite direction. So I think that ego often prevents us uh, from going out and seeking that feedback, um, which is, again, strange because it's exactly counter to what we teach and preach as we coach. You know, trust the mm-hmm. team, listen to the system, get the feedback, give, you know, we we do all that when we're coaching young, <laughs> young athletes, but we don't seem to want to, to do that ourselves. So I think those are the two... The two big things, I think it, we didn't have to do it until, you know, change happens by design or by disaster. COVID was clearly a disaster, but that's an opportunity for us to look at how we run the business of our sport and operations, number one. And then and then ego. We have to really start to ask ourselves, where can I go to get the help and support that I need? Or do I need help and support? And I think that those attract, retain, and growth metrics they don't lie about how you're doing. So it's not right. somebody coming in and hurting your feelings or t- insinuating that you're not good enough or whatever the case may be. It allows you to have a, a to baseline your performance and after which you can say, okay, now we'll try this. And if we try and it doesn't work, at least we tried something. We didn't just do the same old, same old, uh, turn that facet on, faucet on, expect people to come and register for community sport. $10 goes to the province, $15 goes to the NSO, and everyone's winning. Um, that's not. Well, you, you spoke in there a little bit about um, kind of that concept. In the performance world, the people talk about lead metrics and lag metrics, and and a lot of times people, parents watch, looking in or the um, people watching a particular sport kind of always focus on the lag metrics. Oh, you're not winning, or there's big attrition in the numbers of people who are you know, coming back to this team, or nobody likes the coach kind of thing. And we don't think about what the lead metrics are that actually you know, are, are telling us whether there's actually going to be potential success in the future in this you know, proposition that we've created. So what are some lead metrics that if somebody's in an, in a sport um, developmental sport industry right now should be looking at to inform them about their, the proposition of the model that they've created as, as being potentially successful. 
Yeah. So you're looking at the, you're looking at development metrics. So let's move on from culture because that's the foundation. Otherwise nothing gets off the ground. If you don't have that, you have to have a culture that says we want to look at these lead metrics and prioritize them. And then how are we going to communicate that with all of the stakeholders? What happens when something goes wrong? Cause we're going to slip up and no one's perfect, but how do we get back on track? So I think lead metrics are development and that's easy. You've got the, the, the physical and technical tactical development. Is it being baselined? Is every kid that's showing up being baselined on where their proficiency is at that age and stage appropriate level? Mm-hmm. I can assure you, I've coached for 20 years. I've, I can assure you, I can count on one hand how many times kids have shown up and at the beginning of the season being evaluated on their own, not as competitive, not Scott's number one, Matt's number 10, not that, but just, hey, Scott, here is where we are. This is what we want to work on during the season. We're going to reassess this mid-season and the end of season because you can't lose if you do that. The standing, the score, and the schedule are not indicators of development. They are lag metrics, as you talked about. Your individual progress from the time you started until the time you finish your season, you can win. Uh, and then and then that helps get the parents online, get the coaches online, and really focus on what matters. And nine times out of ten, you know what I'm going to say. When you focus on those metrics, the winning takes care of itself. We all know that. We watch it every year. The Cinderella teams, the stories, how did they do it? You know, how did the San Antonio Spurs do it every year? culture and respond like they it's it's easy like bill belichick i mean he must be tired of answering the same question because it's that easy so you've got your physical and technical tactical competence but on top of that what are you assessing from a social emotional perspective we call that connection what are you from a mental leadership perspective we call that character um work ethic doing you know um leadership how are you assessing those how are you giving a ranking to those the confidence so resilience self-belief trust and training culture you know the people the process um the product how are you assessing all of those things because that really is holistic athlete development and there are some organizations that are coming on board now pg of america being one usa tennis being one canada soccer being one um there are some leading organizations that are starting to say okay let's get back to really looking at what this is all about so we can move forward to then creating that uh, you know pool of development talent that that we can draw from so uh, to answer your question i think it's really if, if you're not assessing you're guessing and and to be able to do that at the beginning of each season really is an organization that that prioritizes the development of their of their people and then communicating that um, you'd solve so many problems you know if you just communicated that properly and in in all the organizations that we work with the feedback that we get from the the stakeholders the parents and coaches and officials is we we don't have, there's no communication there's no communication coming back which back to the beginning of this conversation are you a marketing communications expert or are you a volunteer parent just showing up because you want to try your best. If you're not a volunteer communications expert, then who's helping you with those communications? <laughs> it's interesting. I, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Eric Gay, who is an athlete that I worked with uh, from Alpine Canada. He's, you know, t- trying to get, they're trying to get Alpine 
skiing, you know, to have a big rise again in Canada. And we started talking a little bit about, um, you know, the ski centers and the ski, um, you know, retailers and all these different things and why they don't necessarily invest themselves in ski, ski athlete development, because ultimately they're the ones who are going to benefit from more people skiing. And I sort of said to him, I think sometimes in Canada, we have this kind of de facto belief system. Maybe it's our, our sort of, we like socialization a little bit more than our friends down below us a little bit. And we sort of always lean on the government to be the leaders in this thing. And I'm just curious where you see the balance between business and government and making our sports grow together and how we instigate business being more invested in sport where it really makes a difference. And I use this analogy with him or not the story that I learned about um, sort of wax on for a little bit longer, but there's a group called the Titleist Performance Institute in the States. It was developed. Basically they brought pros, strength and conditioning people and therapists together to analyze golf to understand how the golf athlete can be better and title has put a lot of money into this and the reason why they did it was because they knew that every golfer loses at least four balls per round and if they could keep golfers playing for more years they would sell more golf balls and so therefore they would make more money so they invested in a performance cadre around the golf athlete in the same way, like our the guys who make skis and the guys who have ski centers should be investing in our development athletes. But we always seem to lean on, you know, the government needs to put this money in the provincial, the local, da da da. So how do we instigate this kind of relationship between the two and getting more of them working together? Quick break here, and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest. The reconditioning process is powerful, it's provocative, and it has become a sought-after capacity in the human performance world. ReconditioningHQ.com has released the R-Pro Series, a four-step turnkey process to integrating the worlds of therapy and performance. Four steps, one mission, to make you the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. The first step is R1 Foundations, and it's recently been turbocharged with the injection of applied neurology. We are extremely excited about what this new capacity is going to do to your ability to solve problems and serve your client. For more information about the R-Pro series or any one of our empowering courses, head over to reconditioninghq.com and take advantage of our free 5 hours video that takes you through our groundbreaking method of improving mobility. Do you let $100,000 walk out of your rehab business every year? If you're like most businesses, you do. Operating your business under a fix or release model drives your client revenue out the door. For less than $10 per day, Isofit's line of strength products can change your revolving door of lost revenue into a flourishing rehab prevention and performance training business. Call them at one 866 2 I-S-O-P-H-I-T and strengthen your rehab business bottom line today. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness and performance equipment with over 7,000 employees worldwide. Their expertise and capacity in this world are exceptional. With over 500 products that cater to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. But they want to do more than provide product. They want to help you thrive as a performance professional or business person. They are here to help. 
Whatever your problem might be, they are ready and willing to help you find solutions. Greg Lawler and his team at Matrix can be contacted at teamupwithmatrix.com. And believe me when I say this, they will make a difference in your success. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Great, great question and great example, uh, Scott. I, it's collective impact, um, but bear with me here because everyone mm-hmm. says collective impact and then they go right back to their own familiarity bias uh, and say, no, we can't do that. Okay, well, that's not actually collective impact. You do need a little bit of everything and, and I agree. You know, you have to ask yourself, has sport is sport something that government should lead? Should we be giving um, the portfolio to um, somebody that's in cabinet that might be there for two years, might be there for four years, then they're gone, then they, they're in a new portfolio, or maybe they didn't have sport experience, but they just got that portfolio. I know it's gotten better, a lot better now, but um, is that how we want to lead sport? Is that the message that we should be spending sending? I don't think so. Uh, I think government does have a place, but is it in the oversight of sport? Is it in uh, telling people what to do? Is it in not listening to anyone who's boots on the ground? Absolutely not. Um, you know, is does it all have to th- flow through research? No, it does not all have to flow through research. There's some good entrepreneurs, marketing and communications experts. We really have to decide if we want to make sport a priority outside of the four-year Olympic cycle or outside of when we're hosting in Canada, mm-hmm. um, because we all of a sudden we find a whole bunch of money then. And, uh, and we do really well. Um, but if we want to make it a priority outside of that because of the inherent benefits of health, mental health, physical health benefits, then, then we, we've got to prioritize the leadership. We've got to say, like, this is what's happening. And like you said, we need to pull in those different people and stakeholders. They want to be involved. But the problem is, is that usually with government, they want to control it. So we'll bring you in. Um, we will. I've had it even at the NSO level. But well, you. somebody told me, we want to take your system, but there's no way we can call it your system. Or if I take it to the government, they're going to re- want to rebrand it, put in a whole bunch of things that they want and call it theirs. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? And I was like, well, sure, no problem. You're not going to be able to run it. If you didn't create it, you're not going to be able to run it. You know, you need those people at the table doing it, even if they're difficult to deal with, a pain in the ass because they come from a different perspective. That is truly collective impact. And until we arrive at that, we'll be continuing to silo it off and pointing fingers and blaming, uh, you know, pointing over here, blaming over there, et cetera. And that's that's not really how to do it. And I, I go back to, again, where we seem to be unwilling to do at the, at the governance level what we advocate at the coaching level. Mm. We can't get together. We can't drop our egos. We can't trust the system. We can't work as a team. We can't buy into one common vision. We just seem to be unable to do that, which speaks to the leadership, mm. period. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, um, you know, having done sort of experimented with the, the B210 uh, group, uh, that I was a part of, which was really called business in 2010 was the name of, was the reason why the name was created by the the creator, JD Miller. But the idea was to bring a business mindset to sport, you know, in, in the performance sector. Um, but what I kind of recognized as I came out of that was that you, you really have sort of, I would call it three agendas, background agendas in sport. You have the government agenda, which is h- how do we manage the money so that the public um, scrutiny, uh, it passed the mustard test of the public scrutiny. The second one is what I would call the fraternal um, character of sport. 
And this is the element I'm going to circle back to it that gets lost in translation sometimes with the business guys. And I remember you saying at the beginning of this and when we were off offline about people sort of push back on the word business. So then you have the business side of things, which is if you want businesses to take your work seriously, they want to see that you're running things like a business, that you have, you know, you know where your money's going, what you're doing with it, why you're spending it, and the money that they're giving you is being used appropriately. So you have different kinds of competing agendas, but the one in the middle, the fraternal aspect of sport, it exists at every layer of sport. It is the, you know, people why does somebody want a coach in the first place? Why does somebody want to be an administrator for a, for a local sport community? It's in that fraternal community cultural fabric that they want to support, provide mentorship, growth, development of young people in their space. And so their, their agenda, their desire is centralized on local impact or potential impact. And this is why we see these golden sort of fabric spaces where, you know, somebody in the middle of Jamaica or, you know, somebody in the middle of somewhere in Kazakhstan is creating tennis players or somebody in Jamaica is creating sprinters or up in Northern Quebec, they're creating freestyle skiers because there's this kind of little network. And then when we try to scale it, the problem is when we try to scale it, now we have the three animals in the room. We have the fraternity, we have the business, and we have the public, you know, agenda, so to speak. And so to manage all of that, <laughs> this is a, the reason I bring the big question is you need an operating system. You need something that says, okay, you know, the operating system gives you the foundation so that the business guys look at it. They go, okay, this, this makes sense. So that the government looks at it and says, okay, we can sign off on this, but it has to be something that the person who's fraternally connected to this can actually do. And that's the, that's the challenging part of it. And I know you've been working to create something in that, that fits that model, but I'm just kind of interested how that hits you when I talked about those three things and what you're sort of looking to do now to allow those three animals to live together harmoniously. <laughs> First of all, that's the best I've ever heard it articulated. Um, so thank you for saying that. And I hope the audience really pays attention to that because you're bang on. Um, going back to a, a traditional franchise system, you have the franchisor, the general manager, and the franchisees. 99% of all, uh, all innovation is coming from the franchisees. So if you don't have them and invite them into that process to a create and b update the uh, your operating system which should be updated uh, anytime there's you know um, a problem or uh, an innovation or whatever what have you then you're just going to it's going to fall flat and no one's going to use it the more you engage and invite those people or a select group of those people or all those people to say, listen, what are your big pain points? Where do you need help? What do you want? What are you looking for? What do you need? How about this? Um, it's, it's so true. I'll give an example. We, we created an operating system and one of the pieces that came from um, a club, a soccer club was, listen, we don't have a marketing and communications person. What do we write? I'm just going on the internet and clicking like whatever's the trending that week. Oh, look at this great sporting environment over here. Oh, hydrate, nutrition, hydration over here, followed by depression and sport. Followed by, it's just a there's no force, foresight. So we said, you know what? Well, why don't we work together to think about all of the key points 
and pain points over a traditional 20-week season and we'll develop one centrally themed communication but with different messages to the athlete, parent, official, coach, and administrator. So they're all everyone's getting one message at the same time. So for example, we know you know two weeks before the pre, two months before the season starts. We got to be prepared for the season. What does that mean for the athlete? You got to be physically prepared. You got to be mentally prepared. You got to be socially, emotionally prepared. You've got so what does that mean? And we articulate it. Parents, what is what does that mean for you? Have you budgeted? What about other kids in the family? What are you doing in terms of your time management? Uh, officials, how, what how are you doing? Coaches, you know, you got to base the season the goals on on who you want to be versus what you want to achieve because you know ninety nine coaches out of a hundred saying we want to win the championship is 99 losers. Um, you know, so focus on who you can be. What is transformational coaching? What's my season plan? So we started seeding these communications week one. What happens in the first week? Tryouts. Well, how do we manage the tryouts? Uh, parents, what do you, what should you be doing? Athletes, what should you be doing? Coaches, what should you be doing? So we went through and gave, you know, four or five pieces of feedback and developed a 20-week communications strategy for this club. They were more than thankful because they were a part of it. They're like, oh my God, this is so easy. Now I just press play. They can add, edit, amend. Week 10 tournaments. You know, parents, don't go drink your face off with the coach and think that something good's going to come out of that. Coaches, don't spend time drinking with the parents. What are tournaments all about, coaches? Bonding experiences for young young athletes. So how are you creating those bonding experience? Officials, this isn't the FIFA qualifier or the NHL combine for a lot of these U10 people in tournaments. Let go on the calls. What's your, you know, it's not about you. So all of those things that we did and, and, and provided to support, but that's a great example of what you're talking about in terms of how do you engage the franchisees to be a part of that process so that there's value because the franchisees won't listen to the franchisor if there's no value and the franchisor has two responsibilities. Number one, eyeballs and events and money to the organization. And number two, create the operating system that makes it super simple to achieve that organization's goals, whether it's scale, money, impact, whatever it is, you need to know what it is and you need to support that delivery of that. So if you look at all our NSOs and NGBs, typically what they do a great job of is the events. They're like events companies and marketing and promotion companies. Look at what we're doing. Look at how great it is. Um, but they also need to do the second part, which is why we're here today. They need to create that operating system that makes it easy for people to want to follow along. So long-winded way of answering your question, but uh, really I think it's, you know, you get that buy-in by including the franchisees. You get that buy-in by going and visiting, listening to what they need. Um, and, and that's not hard to do because every, everyone wants to talk to the big guy, but the big guy, you don't know, you know, too much, all complaints, et cetera. Well, set it up so that it's not that way. Right. So, if I'm listening to you and understanding your viewpoint is that, that our national sports organizations should be the, the proliferator of an operating system to our, to our fundamental foundational groups like provincial models and, and, and local models so that they understand what they have to build towards. And so that, that NSO Alpine Canada, hockey Canada, soccer Canada, et cetera, creates a, 
a playbook for a provincial organization, a playbook for a local um, development group, et cetera. So they can take it and, and along the lines of the LTAD model for actually training athletes, here's the, here's the structure. And now you're going to soccerize it or footballize it or hockeyize it, so to speak. Uh, is that what you're saying? Has there ever been a summit in Canada for the business of sport? Nope. But every month there's a summit to how to make your athletes run faster, jump higher, all this technical stuff, all of this expertise that we're really good at, that we've got really great expertise at. But do we ever bring the person that's skilled in marketing and communications or reporting into uh, having one of those things? So, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what needs to happen. And, and, and yes, the NSOs need to be the de facto franchisors for their sport. With one caveat, <laughs> they need to do it themselves. Right. Because there's a huge mistrust in, in our system because the, the local community, LSO, local sport organization, doesn't deem that there's any value from the PSO right. organization and who doesn't deem there any value from the NSO. So mm-hmm. there's that whole mistrust when you align yourself from NSO, then you're actually showing the provincial sport organizations, here's what we're doing. Now we're, we're giving this to you and we want you to be the general manager of it. You need to work with the organizations to keep them in compliance. You need to, we need to train you up to train the trainers so that the system has alignment right now. Mm-hmm. We're not aligned and NSO, PSO, LSO. We're not aligned in any way, shape, or form. And that's really dangerous because then you have people going, ah, why would I listen to that? Why should I do that? Or they get um, suggestions or recommendations or mandates and they just check boxes and they don't, they don't care. What do you think, um, excuse me, the, um, the model in Canada should be for our national sports organizations in terms of how they're ultimately funded because there's a lot of debate around that right now. Like uh, I know um, Eric was actually telling me that uh, OTP is going to have a summit in a little while from now, sort of like what they did in New Zealand around sort of defining what are going to be the prioritized sports, the ones that we're going to actually put money into and the ones that we're going to deprioritize because they're culturally not necessarily what we want to invest in in Canada. That's something that New Zealand did a while ago. Um, there's been sort of a, a medals first viewpoint, which in my viewpoint is actually a negative driver uh, of success in the long term because you're taking a momentary um, metric and saying this is what this organization's done without understanding that you know there are two three anomaly athletes that have created it and you haven't looked at the whole development sector model so my personal i have my personal opinions but i'd love to hear yours as to how do we how do we fund so that the driving force is to have a better operating system to have a better structure to have better coaching so that at the end of the day we get the outcome being that we have more success well, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am in agreement with your your POV on this. I think that if you have an organization that demonstrates the attract, retain, and growth metrics that can demonstrate to you that they are uh, at the grassroots level. And listen, I'm not high performance. The reason I keep talking about this grassroots level is because I don't view the two as separate. The high performance is simply, in my opinion, a continuation of someone who is loving their experience and, mm-hmm. and has the skill set to continue to that next level. So I don't break 
into different levels. Um, but what I do say is it starts at the development stages. So at the grassroots level. And, and if I were funding sport, my funding would be tied to the attract, retain, and growth metrics overall. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a great job, because if you're doing a great job, it says that you have a great culture, you're doing the right things, you're asking the right questions, you're, you're not just punching in and punching out, you're not leading through uh, policy and procedure, the development of policies and procedures, you're leading with the development of people and product. Um, that's how I would fund the, the sports because mm. you would see all of the lag metrics if that was the lead metric. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas if you're just saying, Hey, listen, we're not funding you anymore. Cause you're not winning medals at the podium. What does that say to an entire audience who loves that sport? What does that say to your constituents? Um, you know, the PSOs, no successful franchise business would do that. What they do is they say, uh, we are whole foods in West Vancouver and these are our prices and we're whole foods in Chilliwack and these are our prices. And there's two different price points because we're the same business, but these are two different socioeconomic geographics. And we're going to, we're going to account for that. That's what successful franchises do. What they don't do is go, we're not having a whole foods in Chilliwack because we're not making the same margin as the whole foods in West Vancouver. They don't do that. No successful franchise would do that because then what happens when you want to go open in a different demographic? They just say, we're not interested clearly because you only care about ABC. So I don't think that's the way, the best way to do it. I, I think we don't need to look too far to see great examples of good franchise models. And again, Scott, I know people are going to have issues. Well, sport's not a franchise. I know they're going to take issues with how I'm articulating this, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it is what it is. That's what Mm -hmm. you are. Um, You know, if you can't have a $28 billion a year North American business operating with no CEO or operating system, it's just Mm -hmm. not sustainable. And we're seeing it's not sustainable. Right. How can, so for the listener who maybe is involved in a, you know, a local sports organization, an LSO or a PSO, and they're kind of going, okay, I'm pulling my hair out a bit. I'm listening to this conversation. Something's resonating with me. Uh, I want to change. I want to seek to do something differently. Where, where do they start? What, what is, what is it that you start with to make, to seek and create change in the way your current paradigm is set up yeah great question i think what you do is you start with an internal audit and you ask the you ask for feedback from your stakeholders um i always say that when you sit down to create your purpose vision mission and values if you do that in absentia of feedback from the people you're serving it's a missed opportunity to put it mildly and politely Um, really go out and ask your stakeholders how you're doing how are you doing? How are we ask the athletes? Don't ask the athletes' parents how the athletes are doing. The athletes prioritize fun, friends, fit, fair play, friendly competition, finish the season better than they started with the skills. Those are their top five priorities of what they value. One to ten. How are we doing? Parents, safety, development, fair play, opportunity, and inclusive uh, club. How are we doing? Coaches, continuing education, um, coach mentorship, parent support. Uh, organizational support, inclusive club and facility. Those are some of their top priorities. We already know it. It's been studied at nausea. Just go ask those five questions, one to 10, how we're doing. Get that feedback back and then look at it and go, hmm, okay, this is where we need to invest some uh, energy and attention. Where do we go to find that? 
Um, we're low here. Where do we go? We're high here. Great. What do we need to continue to do to maintain that high standard? I think that you, you get granular and real with where you are. Again, the attract, retain, and growth metrics. We're down 70%. Let's park the COVID years. But where were we trending? You know, Hockey Canada was down 100,000 registered members from 2018, 19 to, you know, 21, 22. That's all. If I reported that as a, as a business owner or shareholder, I'd have some, I'd have some explaining to do. So Mm. that's a good opportunity. That's an opportunity to say, listen, there's an opportunity to be better. Everyone knows there's an opportunity to be better and make sport better, but we just need that leadership and those people. And it's not one person or one silver bullet to, to go and do that. So to answer your question, internal audit. Yeah. One of the reasons why um, I wanted to have you back on the show was I know you're doing, you're leading in this area and you're doing your best with your own uh, business to create uh, operating systems for people that they can plug into. So tell the listener a little bit about what you guys are creating, what relationships you're fostering and how this is hopefully going to change the sport system uh, in an incremental way over the next little while. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for that opportunity. So we did, we said there's no operating system. Why don't we just create one? What the heck? What have we got to lose? Mm. Um, you know, so we created one. We created a, a follow the, the, the give a fish, teach to fish um, and custom options, if you will. So the, the give a fish option is a 40-week operations calendar that you can plug into any sport at any level and add, edit, amend, and do whatever you like. You've got it. It's yours. You have it. It's there for you to run your sport organization. The Teach the Fish, we got together with, uh, and when I say we, we've connected with some of the biggest servant leader stakeholders across our country in the United States. We already know the organizations, to your earlier point, that want change, that embrace that. So start with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started with, with swimming and Dr. Stephen Norris. And he said, this is brilliant. We want to, I will, I'd like to lead out a business course on swimming to teach people how to run their businesses of swimming because we don't have that. Great. Um, We went to the PGA of America and one of their consultants who said the same thing, man, this would be great for golf. Can I take it and nuance it for golf, this course? Yep. We went to USA Hockey and, and, and they said the same thing. They said, listen, coming out of COVID, we really need this now and we don't have the capacity um, like we used to at our national governing body, you know, could we work together with you to deliver this in whatever iteration the clubs want to get the support? Yes. Um, sometimes it's better coming from a third party. Uh, we went to rugby and a couple of rugby fellows who we found and, and basically sourced. So what we're doing, Scott, is we're, we're creating the tools and resources and capacity because there's lots of great people like yourself um, who are across the country that, could plug themselves into this and, and support the growth of sport. Um, we're not getting in their way. We're doing a teacher, a, tra- a train the trainer model. Uh, we'll train you how to deliver the course. Uh, we've got some guidelines, guiding principles and, and things that you have to follow, but you come in, if you want to nuance it for your sport, nuance it for your sport. And we're just seeing this. We just started off with one and then it just snowballed. And now it's starting to pick up a little steam. I'm really hopeful that you'll hear about it. 
we had a great conversation with one of the world's largest organizations a month ago who just said, wow, we didn't even think about this as an opportunity, but we'd love to help you with the design of your technology. Um, so they're helping us with that. And, and I, I just think this is a great opportunity for all of sport um, to get on board. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you that you're doing that. And uh, I want to sort of um, bring this um, to a conclusion with a couple of um, personal questions to you that I just want your insight on. Like you mentioned third party and, you know, I've, I have found in sport uh, and I don't know what it is. I, I've told this story a few times. One of my favorite television shows to watch is the voice and, you know, in the artistic paradigm you know people will be giving people feedback and you know they they're like thank you i you know i want to get better i want to be a better singer and And in sport we can't stand feedback for some nobody asks for it and and i keep running into this thing where having a third party look at the way you're running your your model it's like no we don't do do, do that but in business people do it all the time they bring in a you know contract person who looks at their why why are we so offended by scrutiny? Well, one word is ego, um, because yeah. if you don't have the ego, and 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 you believe you're doing everything perfectly. Then there's not not any room for support. And, and going back to your question, that's one of the things that absolutely should be a prerequisite when you're coming down from the government level as to one of the things that they want to see is who are you plugging into? Where where is this? Again, that feedback, that continuous feedback loop. So I'm I'm using that because that is such a great example. You're right. <laughs> My my last question to you is, uh, wh- why why are you so passionate about this? Like I, since I met you, like we've only known each other a little while, but I hope we get to know each other better over time. But you're you you exude a passion for this that's just uh, spectacular. Why? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Because this is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> The way we run sport and the and the obsessiveness uh, from the parents and, and the coaches and the pressures and all of the this it's not what sport was designed for. Um, sport saved my life. I had a great coach, great experiences. Uh, I made it a life's mission to pay it forward. It's not because of the money. It's not because we want to put our flag at the top of the mountain and say we solved this problem. It's because to me, the fact that we're having to have this conversation is absolutely ridiculous. When you look at what the intention of sport was for, it's to give, you know, create friendships, um, you know, learn critical life skills and have fun. Those mm-hmm. are the three big things of sport. And, and like I said, if it, if it goes for more than that, well, then that's awesome too. But the fact that we're having these, uh, when you look at what's going on and all these things, I just think it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I, and, and what you, I'm not going to complain about it. It's time to do something about it, which is why I like the leave your mark podcast. Love that. Love that way to finish. And if people want to get a hold of uh, of you and what you're doing, uh, Matt, and sort of invest in in any one of those levels of your model and stuff, or just get your insight, where do they go? Matt at fsqsport.com. Awesome. So we've got. It's not me. It's there's a, a hugely talented team of people and virtual bench that we've got across the world um, that is interested in helping. I think it just. The only thing that I can that I can take credit for is putting the pieces of the puzzle together and getting out of people's way. Well, good on you for doing it. Thanks for reaching out to me to talk about this subject, and it's uh, been a good hour of uh, insight on the, on the whole thing. I think we've provided some insights, some thoughts, and some solution sets for the the average listener, and hopefully they'll take it where they need to go. So, thank you. 
Appreciate you, Scott. Thank you. Taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.